Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are uh, on the phone with Mr. Stephen Harper, official leader of the opposition. Welcome. Nice to be here, Drew. And uh, listen, uh, before we get going, I, I've never talked to a bigwig politician like you before, so I don't, I haven't got the foggiest idea how I should be doing this. Am I supposed <laughs> to be referring to you as Mr. Harper, Mr. Mr. Honorable Right Left, or you know, Stephen, uh, or you call me Stephen or Mr. Harper? Okay. Uh, yeah, we generally don't have to go by formal titles <laughs> on interviews. All right, that's good. Well, if I've got a couple things straight, uh, I, I don't want to get too much into your into your um, you know genealogical background here, but you were born in Toronto, 1959. That's correct in the neighborhood of Leaside. And how many years did you spend in Toronto? Uh, I lived in uh, Leaside, East York, uh, until I was 12, then went out to Etobicoke, and we lived there until I was 19, and then I moved out to Alberta, where I've been ever since, and where my immediate family now lives, but a lot of my uh, relatives on my mother's side are still in the, still throughout Ontario. Actually. All right, okay. And your wife, Lorene, 10 years apparently. No, how many years? More uh, than 10 years. Gee, now if she was here, I'd get yelled at yeah. I didn't remember this. <laughs> Uh, I, do, I do the same thing. We just had our 11th anniversary in December. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Two children. Two children. Benjamin, Benjamin and Rachel. Benjamin is eight years old, a hockey player, and, uh, and Rachel's five, and she's a uh, budding ballerina. Is she? Yes. Uh, what position does Benjamin play? Center most of the, most of the year. Oh, so he's a hot dog. Yeah. Well, it, it, he probably wouldn't like that description, but it's <laughs> probably more accurate than he would care to admit. First time my son scored a goal, his very first goal, you know, five years old, something like that, he rode his stick like Tiger Williams. A uh, couple of times where my son has scored, uh, yeah, the the celebrating's been a little bit more than it should be. A little over the top? But, uh, but uh, no, generally, he's, he's, he does pretty good. We're pretty, very proud of him. He's actually a pretty good player. He's he's now playing his fourth year, which is more than his dad ever played. And <laughs> I think he scored more goals in his first five games than his dad scored in his whole career. Right, so, so you stunk at hockey, basically. Is yeah, that what I mean? Yeah, I, I started very late. Did you? I started very late. I didn't skate till I was 10, so... Well, what was your uh, just real briefly tell like, your life growing up? What was that all about? What kind of well, like what kind of kid were you? Were you a rat bag? Were you a sweat hog? A troublemaker? Uh, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I I have a don't talk a lot about myself. You'd probably be better to ask people who knew me. I, I guess I was always a serious kid and always uh, uh, always reasonably good in school. I didn't get really serious at school until, until I was much older, but uh, I I don't think I was all that much trouble. Although my mother might have a different story. <laughs> yeah. You know, every kid I know growing up with that, that sort of was into politics had a serious side to them. Is that is that what it takes? you got to have a serious side to you, I guess, huh? Well, look, uh, I'd say that people go into politics, what they pretty well all share is that they they get themselves involved in, in big in federal politics and big issues. I mean, you're interested in very big issues. Uh, the country, its future, the economy, peace and security. Uh, by nature, I think anybody who particularly at a younger age, uh, gets interested in these kinds of subjects is, is, you know, by definition, probably a more serious person than the average. Okay. Well, what I want to do today, uh, Stephen, is I want our listeners to get a better idea of, of who you are, because this is what happened to me. When I went to the polling stations, I was just about to swing your way, and at the last moment I swang, swang, there's a good word for you, the other way, mm. okay? And, I, and I'm trying to figure out what went wrong in my head. Now, in my, my uh, particular area of Orangeville, uh, I know that I had a gentleman who was a liberal who was uh, against same-sex marriage, and, and unfortunately for the Christian population, that seems to be the main issue. I know there's there's larger issues than that, but that's the one thing that seems well, to resonate with It's still with an us. important issue, and it's an important issue with many people. Oh, sure, sure. Can I maybe just comment on the... Um uh, on that particular experience, your comment about the election, about your own riding, talking about having a, a liberal MP or a liberal candidate who, uh, you know, who 
was on your side on that particular issue. I guess the point I would make, Drew, before we get into the personal yeah, stuff, yeah, sure. you know, it's great for some of these uh, liberals to, to, to say, you know, well, we're on your side on that particular issue. But the fact of the matter is, um, what they are doing is propping up a government that is working against those things. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have, must admit, I have some difficulty, and I understand there are people who are liberals, lots of people are liberals who share our views on these issues, but I have a lot of difficulty when it's increasingly obvious that that party is so basically hostile to these positions. Sure. I have some difficulty with people trying to square that circle in the liberal party. Sure. Well, then, I guess you, you would say that people shouldn't vote for Belinda Stronach, then. Well, I think the uh, the difference is that, first of all, we have we have clearly a free vote, and you know, and I've I've still put forward clearly uh, my position and what the majority of our our party stands for. Um, the difference in the Liberal Party is there may be people disagree with the Prime Minister. But the Prime Minister is making it pretty clear that he really isn't going to tolerate the country going that way as long as he's the leader. Right. And I think that's a big difference. The Liberal Party isn't, there aren't merely cases that people have different views than the party. Those views are entirely marginal and disrespected in that party. And, uh, and as I say, it's pretty obvious. Uh, the Prime Minister, you know, I think if you listen to it, rhetoric, makes it pretty clear. He has no toleration for the, uh, for this position. Uh, look, no, de- no doubt, um, in ridings where there are conservative MPs who have a different view than the majority of the party, that would cause some difficulties yeah. for uh, for voters like yourself, and I understand that. Okay, well, let's. I want to get into that later because yeah. you know that's been beat like a dead horse. Sure. So let's let's come back to that in a little bit. Um, uh, your siblings? Did you have ki- like brothers and sisters? Two brothers. Uh, my brother Grant was two years younger. My brother Robert five years younger. Um, like uh, my father, uh, they have become chartered accountants. Uh, they moved out to Alberta, to Calgary, actually, some years after I did, quite independently, uh, for various business reasons. And then my parents uh, moved out uh, as well. So, and, and I should add, as I say, they're all accountants. And way back in uh, high school, I took an aptitude test that said I would be an ideal accountant. But I, I tell people <laughs> that's that not I, a compliment. Well, you I, know what I, I tell people I, I ultimately failed. I became an economist. I, I lacked the charisma to be an accountant. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, with you saying that as a kid, you were a fairly serious kid, and with the whole accountant thing going in your family, <laughs> like I'm, I'm thinking that the, the the funnest night you guys had was you, was you brought out the chessboard. You know what I mean? Well, it's, it's actually it's funny. It's funny you say that because uh, my son has taken interest in chess just recently. <laughs> I'm trying to teach him, but in fact, it was a game I I hardly ever played as a kid. Really? Yeah. No. Uh, no. We we played a lot of games. I mean, we were uh, you know as a family. Uh, yeah, we we always talked politics. Although the, my parents were never involved in politics, but we always talked about it, followed it. Uh, but we were very interested. Families very interested in sports. Uh, family, uh, the, my father in particular was very involved in his church. Um, and, and you know, as I say, we did. Uh, we played lots of board games and all kinds of other things. So uh, yeah, it was uh, we liked picnics. I mean, we did a range of activities. Who has had the greatest impact on your life, uh, Steve? Boy. Um, you know that's uh, that's a tough question to answer because it, it often depends on you know what aspect of life you're looking at. But I think as a as a general question, Drew, uh, you know I'd have to say my father. And uh, my father passed away uh, a little under two years ago. And when I was writing his eulogy, and I don't want to say it was just when I was writing his eulogy, but as I was writing his eulogy, the really the extent of his influence over my life, my personality, and everything else. Uh, really did hit home to me in a probably way I'd never fully appreciated. Hmm. 
How old? How old was your father when he? He was seventy-five. He'd okay. um, he'd suffered from a, a number of physical problems for a long time preceding his death. Although he'd uh, led a fairly active life and was mentally very very active uh, up until about a month before his death. But still, it's uh, and I knew it was coming, uh, but it was it's still a shock to the system when it happens. Is your mom? Your mom's still going? Obviously. Yeah, my mother is living uh, in Toronto. Yeah, my no, my mother lives in Calgary now. Okay, so they, after the death, did she come out? They, no, they both. They both moved out to Calgary after my grandparents passed away oh, okay. in the uh, early 90s. So she's, 90s. she's got uh, her, some of her children around her then, at least, out there. Yeah, no, both my brothers yeah. uh, and my nieces and uh, uh, and her, they all live in Calgary. And she's uh, she's now in her early 70s. She was a bit younger than my dad, but she's in great health, actually. Good, good. Yeah. Oh, now, now, sorry about the tiny Talentine trivia here, but which books or authors, you know, sort of really turn your crank these days? <laughs> Well, it's it's kind of funny because uh, most of my reading is uh, is children's books because uh, I read to my kids. <laughs> right, I, I'm with you so much on that one right now. Time, obviously, we love Harry Potter, but I've kind of run out of Harry Potter books to read. Um, <laughs> now, hold on, now some of the Christians out there would just you know they they oh, chuckle wobbly that you're reading Harry Potter. Yeah, I know, but uh, and I like SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh too. no, oh but, no, uh, I know it's it's. So terrible. you believe in Satanism and homosexuality? <laughs> then. Yeah. Well, I gotta say, I don't see either in those, but whatever, we could have that argument. Yeah, I know. Um, it, it's it's given a lot of ammunition to talk back radio here in the Christian oh, market, anyway. I know. So. Um, in um, in uh, the case of my daughter, now we read. Uh, she's really into the Magic Treehouse series. Mm-hmm. I don't know uh, Mary Pope Osborne, I think is her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's a terrific bunch of little books, and I haven't heard any any uh, Christian groups attacking them. No. <laughs> um, in uh, my son's case, uh, we now read uh, the Artemis Fowl series, mm. uh, which is a fairly short series, and uh, it's again same thing. I also, uh, in my spare time, I um, I've, I've always been very interested in uh, hockey history. It's something I, I say I was never really good on the ice, but I developed a little bit of knowledge of that as a kid. And in the last few years, I've I've gotten uh, kind of revived my interest in it as a hobby. And uh, what hockey what hockey player would you like to meet? Oh, you know, I've actually met most of the guys I wanted to oh, meet. Although man. I've never actually met Wayne Gretzky. Uh, his uh, his uncle uh, Al is a big big supporter and friend of mine. I've met his dad as well. I've never had a chance to meet Wayne. Right. And uh, my son wants to really meet Matt Sundin. He's a big Leafs fan. Okay. So uh, so I, I spend uh, you know in terms of my reading, there wouldn't be authors, you know, but I do read a fair bit of of hockey history and, and right. that sort of information. All right, let's let's jump into, and I'll just let our listeners know you're listening to the Drew Marshall Show, and we're we're actually chatting with Mr. Stephen Harper, who is the official leader of the opposition, the Conservative Party, and uh, I am quite happy to have you. Well, you've done a lot of research. You've done a lot more than a lot of the people here interview me every day. So, <laughs> so okay, well, let's jump into the into the Jesus stuff here for a little bit, because sure. obviously it's a, it's a Christian station here. Mm-hmm. Rumor has it, rumor has it that you actually are a genuine follower of Christ. Yes, I uh, I became a, a Christian uh, in my I guess in my twenties. Mm-hmm. I, I don't talk a lot about it, uh, you know, and I know uh, from theological reasons I probably should. But uh, you know, my job is obviously to communicate a political message to a wide range of Canadians. Right. Um, although, I, of course, I always make it clear that Christians and people of other faith are welcome in politics, and particularly welcome in our party. And sure. as you know, that's not a message uh, Christians get. 
very often these days. <laughs> That's right. um, my uh, myself, I uh, when I can attend church, which isn't very frequently, um, I do uh, attend the uh, Christian Missionary Alliance. Missionary Alliance. Okay. Okay. In your twenties, you made the decision to uh, to to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Did you grow up in a Christian family, or I mean? Wh- oh yeah, very much so. Um, my um, Father, in particular, both my parents were very active. My father was particularly very active in uh, in the local United Church in North Lee. And my father actually, uh, I should say, really became quite, uh, you know, quite expert in um, theological matters as he grew older. He uh, he'd always had an interest. He was a very intellectual guy. He always had an interest, but he'd studied a lot and uh, later uh, was active in the Presbyterian Church. And I think the ministers and uh, uh, various uh, seminary people became very nervous about him because he, he really could argue with them if he wanted to. <laughs> uh, so he was quite the knowledgeable man. I don't claim anywhere near the same uh, kind of knowledge, but I was I was born in that uh, background, and, and the family uh, you know the family changed. Uh, I, I will not say that I uh, accepted Christ when I was young. That was not true. No. But uh, and the family, for its own reasons, that I probably don't have to inform your viewers of, uh, changed churches later yeah. on. In yes. The, in the Yes, I, well, I'm glad you said that, and you said it quite nicely too. Um, what happened in your 20s that made you go? You know what? I need to ask, like the Creator, for forgiveness, and I need to say to Jesus, "Okay, you're Lord of my life." Um, well, I I don't know, Drew, if I could explain. I don't don't know that I had a simple or quick story. I um, I um, through uh, I guess it was just through a number of activities, uh, uh, including some political activities, came in contact with. Uh, a number of Christians and, and did a, was doing a lot of reading at the time, including a lot of reading of uh, Muggeridge and C.S. Lewis and others. And uh, and and I'll just say it was a, a process that brought me around to that way of thinking. Canadians seem to fear the fundamentalist mind, you know, that is perceived as being a natural part of the Christian perspective, or any, and to be quite honest, part of the Conservative Party. And mm-hmm. as proof of that, Stockwell Day had, had to resign uh, after a year. Uh, he was pressured to resign, from what I understand, by members who felt that he was too Christian to be a major player in the political scene. So what makes you any different as a follower of Christ? I think in fairness, uh, I mean, Stockwell Day is, don't get me wrong, a great uh, member of our caucus, great friend. Uh, you know, you should all, your listeners should know, uh, Stock just recently lost his dad, who uh, uh-huh. I didn't know his dad well, but his dad and I had a lot of mutual friends. And so Stock's uh, going through what I went through a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I think the reasons for, for uh, Stock's replacement as leader were, were actually fairly complicated. I don't think there was one issue. You couldn't boil it just down to him being no, a Pentecostal no. and he was too overt with his Jesus stuff. No, right? I don't think it, it, it can be reduced to that at all. But I would say that I would yeah. say, Drew, that um, you know, there's no doubt uh, when um, you know there is a, a view out there, and you hear it all the time, that anybody's a Christian uh, will impose their views on uh, on the country, and uh, that's uh, that's not. My nature, I guess, what I point out to people is that uh, as I look around the country and see views and attitude being imposed, it's not uh, Christians or Sikhs or anyone else who are imposing them; it's liberals. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh man, did you have that one written down in front of you? That was no, I, I've, I've made this observation <laughs> over a long period of time. So, what makes you any different then, as a follower of Christ? I mean, how do you juggle the Jesus stuff with politics and survive? You know, and why do see, people seem to respect you? Well, it's not you know it's not easy, um, and, and I've I've said that I always keep uh, you know I always keep my I don't say I keep my faith and my politics separate, but I don't mix my advocacy of a political position uh, with my advocacy of faith. Uh, and perfect example, of course, is the marriage issue. As you know, that it's a, a big debate, and obviously there's a, a Christian perspective on that. But it so happens that that Christian perspective is almost a universal cultural perspective and crosses virtually every faith. 
in the country, and uh, as well, uh, there are prominent secular ethicists like uh, Margaret Somerville who have the same position. So, uh, you know, I think often uh, if if one were uh, a pastor or a minister and trying to bring someone to Christ, uh, that's a very different job than my job, which is really to persuade uh, people to a particular political position, for example, on a marriage issue. Uh, which you know may obviously touch on Christian belief, but goes uh, well beyond it or goes a different direction. I, I think the struggles, uh, you know, the struggles we have, uh, I have with these things. And I won't get into my own theology, but is is less with the political positions I may take as a Christian, but more the behavior uh, that I'm expected to display and the the kind of pressures I'm under, the kind of ethical and other pressures that I'm under, or the kind of family pressures. I mean, those are the things that are most uh, meaningful to me uh, in terms of being a Christian and trying to do this job as opposed to you know, individual political positions as I take. I don't believe that the Lord is terribly partisan, um, but uh, obviously I think we do have to be concerned about our, our moral and ethical conduct as individuals. On the phone with Mr. Stephen Harper, leader of the Conservative Party. And, uh, Stephen, we uh, we had a bunch of our listeners email us questions for you, and I'd just like to roll through a few and then let you go. Do you believe a strategy similar to George Bush's religious right would be successful in a left-leaning Canada? Well, I, I wouldn't reduce, you know, I, I don't want to become a political strategist here, but I, I wouldn't say that that's... That George Bush's strategy can just be reduced to that. Uh, George Bush's political strategy is, is uh, you know, is sophisticated. It involves more than just appeal to faith. It, uh, I think, the most important thing is obviously George Bush's views on security and how he will defend the interests of the United States in a very dangerous world. So, uh, we live in a different environment. I think the issues are different, but uh, I would certainly say, and I've said before, that I think people of faith of all faith backgrounds uh, should be welcome in politics and feel welcome in our party. Hmm. Very well said. Now, listen, uh, apparently it's not listed in the U.S. Bill of Rights. Uh, the 1948 United Nations Declaration of Human Rights, the European Declaration of Human Rights and Freedoms, the 1982 Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the Meech Lake or Charlottetown Accords. Uh, it's not a recognized right in any Western democracies other than Holland and Belgium. So the question would be, if gay marriage is not a human rights issue, why are the courts of Canada wasting so much time on it? Well, I guess they're wasting time on it because it's been appealed. There's been t cases taken to the courts, and because legislatures and Parliament have refused to deal with the issue. Now Parliament is at least dealing with the issue. Uh, but I would point out, uh, Drew, even in that preamble, even in the Netherlands and Belgium, uh, where same-sex marriage uh, has been adopted, it was not adopted as a human rights requirement. Uh, it was adopted simply as a choice of legislature. Um, and... Uh, and even there, uh, same-sex marriage has not got exactly the same legal status as traditional marriage. Right. Okay. Now, uh, someone else says here, if I'm against the proposed same-sex marriage legislation, how can I help as one citizen with the whole same-sex marriage thing? I mean, what's the most practical thing a person can do to get government to, to sit up and take notice and get you into the office of prime minister? Do they email to the MPs and the prime minister? Does that make any difference at all? Does joining the conservative party help in any way? Does oh, uh, donating money to the conservative party help in any way? I think all these things help. First of all, don't be afraid to state your view. Uh, there's considerable intimidation in this country. Uh, from the establishment and from the media that doesn't think uh, support for traditional marriage should be expressed, although it's, in our judgment, the position of about two-thirds of Canadians. So express your view and push for it, and uh, don't ever hesitate to let your MP's office know how you feel, and don't ever think that that doesn't have some 
persuasive impact on people who are facing re-election in a minority parliament. Sure, but practically, what can be done? What, what's, the, what's the best thing to well, make a difference? Let, let your view be known and let it be known to the people who make the decision. We're going to have a vote in parliament, and uh, I hope that's a free vote. It's pretty apparent, though, it's uh, unlikely to be, and my position is that uh, when I'm prime minister in the next parliament, we'll be bringing this issue forward again. So if uh, people don't get their view heard now, uh, don't hesitate to help us get that view out later. Next question from one of our listeners. I don't understand why it seems that conservatives are almost afraid to define their view of how Canada should be with issues such as abortion, gay marriage, etc. When asked direct questions on their stand to these sensitive issues, they seem to beat around the bush while trying to appease both sides. How would you respond to that, Mr. Harper? Well, what I say is this. In, in political parties, um, uh, broad-based political parties, people are invariably going to have different views on issues like this. And I think it is unwise for a political party to impose positions of morality and conscience on their members. And so, you know, we've had the marriage debate, and I certainly uh, allow uh, members in our caucus who disagree with me to state and to vote differently. That turns out, by the way, to be a fairly small percentage of the caucus, but they have their rights. But what I insist upon, and this is where things are a little different, that the minority will not dictate the majority opinion, and I certainly, as you know, have not hesitated to uh, to push out the general conservative view on this issue. How, how are you able to maintain honesty and integrity, Stephen, while you are the leader of the Conservative Party? I mean, it's it's been said that President Lincoln had a group of prayer warriors during his presidency and, and some uh, Quakers who came with no agenda but simply to pray. Do you have any, like, spiritual advisors or mentors or, like, a committed prayer team around uh, you? Not in that form, but I certainly do have, a, have you know, in my life, family, friends, and close political colleagues, people who uh, who offer me uh, regular advice on, on uh, uh, not just on, on matters of faith, but also, obviously, on, on just matters of uh, uh, matters of personal guidance. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I think any, I think it's not just the political leader. I think that's a wise thing for anybody to have. Uh, a couple last ones here, and this one is uh, is quite important. I think as a Christian and Canadian culture, I know we are a minority, apparently. So this is from one of our listeners. Some stats I've seen in the past suggest that Bible-believing citizens are approximately 6% of the population here in Canada. Some more recent numbers suggest we may be uh, well less than 5%. Uh, yet uh, some interest groups, uh, pick the most obvious, make claims of representing a larger percent of the, of the population, while official statistics suggest they represent the same percentage as Christians. So here's the deal. These interest groups... Uh, let's say those associated with the same-sex movement, let's say EGAL, which I'm sure you're quite familiar with, they, they make such an impact in Ottawa and Queen's Park, and yet the Christian population seems to be a bunch of wimps and, and not heard or not listened to. Uh, it's as if our political influence is disproportionate. Why are we as Christians failing to do the same? I, I don't know. I'm not sure I know how to answer that question. Um... You know, and that's something Christian leaders and Christian organizations should should discuss. There certainly are groups like the Evangelical Fellowship, which is, and others, uh, Christian Embassy. There's many groups on Parliament Hill that are very active and uh, do attempt to get the message out. Uh, and numerous other interest organizations. Uh, part of it is, uh, if you don't mind me saying, uh, you know, most of the media is not coming from from uh, conservative or Christian perspectives. They're coming from liberal perspectives, and. Uh, that's a big part of the problem when we try and get balanced debate. But we are not able to positively influence lawmakers to counter the social engineers. We're, we're well, just... we haven't been successful so far, but as I say, I think uh, I, I, I wouldn't give up hope on the issue that's before us now. I see uh, a strong public opinion backing the kind of position we're putting forward, which I think is actually a reasonable compromise. And uh, and I think public opinion, notwithstanding media coverage, is swinging our way. So, Stephen, what, I mean, what keeps you awake at night? 
Oh, too many things. Like, I can't uh, imagine living your life. Like, how do you shut your brain down every too, night? Too many things, but, uh, well, I, I try and get some diversions. I, I spend some time with my children before uh, before I go to bed, and they tend to focus me on the more important things in life, so that helps. How can we pray for you? Let's finish the conversation off Well, like I, I don't know that I, I tell people how to do that, but I always tell people we certainly appreciate their, their thoughts and prayers. I just want to thank you so much for trying to lead us, uh, Mr. Harper. I appreciate that, Drew, and I thank you for your time, and uh, it's been an interesting interview. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. All the best. Bye. Well, that, of course, was Stephen Harper, the leader of the opposition, and uh, we did that interview a number of months ago. So it was a kind of a repeat, but I think it was timely, obviously, with the federal election happening right now. I want you folks to understand a little bit more of who Stephen Harper really is. And I thoroughly enjoyed my time interviewing him. Coming up next on the Drew Marshall Show, a bit of a chat with Don Cherry. And uh, Grapes, as he's known, will talk with us a bit about his faith and uh, Christmas traditions, all that kind of stuff. And then later, uh, an interview with Randy Stonehill. We'll catch up with Randy today. And, uh, and then also Kathy Lee Gifford a little later in the show. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed our time there with Stephen Harper. When we come back from this sh- short break, Don Cherry on the Drew Marshall Show. We'll be right back.